So Cliff, after our last conversation, you gave me a call because you said you wanted to clarify a few things. So you sent me a Word document outlining some points you wanted to talk about. So why don't we just go down that document? Right. I'm ready to go, Cody. All right, let's do it. So the first thing I want to say is that and I have worked on this, continue to work on this. If anything, um, both the interview that I gave you in the podcast just, you know, most recently and the um, Alaska Common Ground um, presentations that Pat Pitney, the director of uh, uh, legislative finance for the state of Alaska, and myself gave um, to the Alaska Common Ground annual meeting in early May that are available on the Internet. Uh, if anything, all the stuff that people thought was too depressing, uh, Cody, I'm coming to believe is insufficiently grim. That's mm-hmm. the problem in terms of the fiscal and economic challenges that Alaska faces. You and I went over the economic challenges at, at some length, um, and we've had some additional bad news, not entirely unexpected. There have been, um, on the economic front, before we go to the fiscal front, there have been additional bad signs about tourism um, in Alaska this year in terms of reports of uh, uh, just the, the bad uh, uh, reports of bookings and uh, um, cancel- cancellations in a and even more expected problems for the tourism industry in Alaska this, this upcoming summer, you know, summer season for tourism in our state. Additionally, the commercial fishing industry has been hit by, you know, the, the, the actual threat of COVID-19 has, has appeared, and that is going to make it harder to supply uh, uh, the seafoods and, the, and, the, and make the commercial fishing season go here in Alaska. Um, and there have been additional cutbacks on oil, um, since we talked, and then that's just that's on the economic side, which would it bleeds over to the fiscal side. The fiscal side is particularly uh, difficult because the state of Alaska, and, then, and I just um, did some even more calculations yesterday, looking at Alaska well, Legislative Finance uh, Division projections and Alaska Department of Revenue projections. The state of Alaska has an annual structural deficit, as best as I can tell, that's, that's best expressed at at least $2 billion to $3 billion, as far as the eye can see, because in the out years, it's never below uh, $2 billion starting in the next fiscal year, and uh, it keeps going up to get uh, over $2.5 billion um, in the projections um, in the uh, outer years of the uh, late 2020s, um, which is about as far as you can project, And for, for example, in terms of how far the permanent fund projects its earnings going forward. Um, it's worth noting the permanent fund earnings are the main contributor to Alaska's budget. Um, that's what provides well over 50% um, of the funding um, for the budget uh, that our state has. So, um, and this is in unrestricted general funds, which is what Alaskans usually mean when they when they talk about the budget. So, that's an important point. Let's say Alaska's annual structural deficit of two two billion to three billion, as far as the eye can see. And that's if you pay the full permanent fund dividend, as the law now calls for, it's still on the books, um, and you just assume the budget goes up by the rate of inflation. And I would note there's all these additional pressures to spend um, caused by both COVID-19 in terms of the effects uh, on uh, health, uh, you know, and uh, other problems it causes for our state, but also, Cody, uh, because of uh, the wildfires. It seems like a long time ago, 
But just last year, in 2019, there were bad wildfires in our state, and there's some, you know, evidence or you know reason to believe that that's going to hit again, and that costs since it costs the state also money. Um, so there's going to be additional pressures to spend above the budget we already have uh, for, as I said, COVID-19 and to deal with the uh, wildfires. Um, the budget is about 5.2 billion dollars in the in the uh, right now for the budget for the unrestricted uh, general fund for the uh, fiscal year starting uh, on July 1st, but that's going to you know, probably have to go up again for the reasons that I just said. And it'll be 2021. Yeah, that's fiscal year 2021. So you know there is some positive news for the economy in the sense that dividends the per, the governor's announced a dividend permit. Dividends will get released earlier. That's about a thousand dollars a person, which is of course nothing. But going back to the economic side of this, a lot of people have lost more than a thousand dollars in terms of the COVID-19 effects, including in Alaska, in terms of you know various uh, people who worked in restaurants or in the tourism business, and there have been obviously some layoffs in the oil patch as well. Um, and some people think, as I said before, that um, although Alaska is not the hardest hit on public health by COVID-19, but on the other hand, the coronavirus may hit Alaska's economy um, as much or more than any other state because of the, uh, the vulnerabilities um, that various big industries in Alaska have uh, to COVID-19, uh, oil, um, tourism, uh, commercial fishing um, in particular. And I keep stressing also this effect on permanent fund earnings, which fuel most of the state's budget and spending for everything from teachers to social workers to uh, road maintenance, uh, highway maintenance here in Alaska. So then also leads to um, some difficult questions, particularly in the in the fiscal area, of what is the state of Alaska going to do uh, in its responses to the fiscal and economic problems? And some of the things that might juice the economy the most in the short run might have a really bad effect in the long run or would, would tend to have a bad effect in the long run for Alaska, and for particularly, particularly people who tend to stay here and, and reside in the state, which points to another underlying problem that I'll discuss. Cody, would you like me to walk through some potential re- fiscal and economic responses the state of Alaska could take to the uh, current difficulties Alaska faces? Yeah, I think that would be helpful. Okay. One proposal is to spend for the perfect earnings, but to spend at a substantial higher rate, and that would be a, what would be we call an unsustainable rate, a rate of it is uh, higher than what can be maintained over the long run. And that rate is about 5.5% a year. It's about to go to to 5% a year. Um, If you spend more than that, you're losing um, probably, for every billion dollars you send from the permanent fund over that limit, you're losing about 50, more than 50 million a year. You're increasing deficit by over 50 million a year just by that self in future years. Because, you know, it's like, you know, uh, a guy in his uh, 20s or early 30s is setting to spend his, you know, um, cash out his retirement to live on. If you just got a cancer diagnosis that said you're going to you know, die in less than a year, that might, would make sense. But for a lot of people with sort of normal lifespans, it just doesn't make any sense. And that's the, what spending unsustainable for the permanent fund earnings and conventional spending or on, uh, on large permanent fund dividends uh, would have that effect. People suggested borrowing from the permanent fund, and I understand sort of the concept there, except I raise a question about it. Is under what mechanism would the state of Alaska pay itself back? 
if you borrowed money from the permanent fund to finance current spending, what's your plan for payments back? And, and what's the enforcement mechanism for making that happen? Um, others have talked about, with low interest rates, borrowing money from um, the federal government or from banks, you know, from private financial institutions. I understand that plan somewhat, except once again I have the same question. There's clearly an enforcement mechanism that entities other than the state of Alaska itself could impose on the state to make it pay back or could try to. But how would the state pay back, uh, uh, you know, get the money to pay back, uh, a loan back given and repay a loan, given that this is a giant annual structural deficit we have? Some have suggested obtaining more federal money in the form of grants. That's a possibility. A lot of states, of course, want that. A lot of, a lot of, um, and a lot of entities generally are on their backs or have been severely hurt by COVID-19 all around our country. So we'll see how well that works in terms of getting a lot of grant money for the state. And often it might come with strings, as it was the last of the scene, that can't be spent for anything you like, except for like things that we've lost because of COVID-19 and not because if you have a, a, a giant annual structural deficit predating the coronavirus, which Alaska clearly had. We had a giant structural deficit before the, COVID-19 hit, uh, Cody, it's just worse now. Then um, mm-hmm. others have said, and this goes back to some longer debates we've had in Alaska, we, well, we could be become like every other state and impose a broad-based tax on ourselves. Um, Alaska uh, had broad-based taxes, an uh, individual income tax, um, until um, 1980 when it was repealed in the first big flush of the, the first big oil money uh, coming into our state. And you know, every other state, as I said, has a state income tax, a state sales tax, or both. That might raise in the order of 500 to $700 million a year, depending on how it's structured, uh, which would be something, given our, the substantial structural deficit we have. Um, then there's some people talk about raising oil taxes. Uh, another long debate, and it looks like there's going to be a, a vote on that this year uh, by the people of Alaska to that question like that about raising oil taxes with me on the ballot. I would note that even some of the biggest supporters of raising oil taxes, something I've been very much, you know, I had a big role in, in raising oil taxes in uh, 1989 uh, when I was working for the Alaska Department of Revenue uh, as the special assistant commissioner. Um, but the, things have changed a lot since 1989. Uh, we have way more, way, way less oil production and um, lower oil prices than we've um, had in a while. And even some of the biggest supporters of raising oil prices now recognize the limitations of that uh, as a as a response or move by Alaska because there's just a lot less um, oil money to tax than there used to be. Mm-hmm. With this giant reduction in oil production, uh, we used to have one or two billion barrels of oil a day go through the pipeline. Now it's um, closer to 400,000, um, well below 500,000. And then finally, people talk about cutting spending more. Oh, wait, say, say that again. Sorry, you were coughing. I coughed slightly. People have talked, Cody, about cutting spending more. And this is always a popular idea in the abstract among a lot of people. But it has a couple of issues with it. One is it's popular in the abstract in, in, in the general, but all the specific cuts tend to be fiercely resisted. Um, secondly, the state of Alaska has cut the budget a lot. Um, in, in recent years, it's way below what it was uh, six, eight years ago. The easy cuts are gone, and now people have to talk about: Are we going to cut expenditures for, you know, K through 12 education, for example, uh, more? Um, I mean, the university's been whacked substantially. 
Um, and there have been a lot of, you know, other cuts scattered around. And the questions now are, where would we cut to make it work? For example, um, in Governor Dunleavy's original budget proposed in early 2018, um, well, one school district said, this will require so many students in the classroom, we can't fit enough desks in a classroom to, to, to fit the number of students we would need to go to a classroom to make this budget work. Um, and so we would sort of have, you just can't have, you know, students standing up, all class. Um, so people need to really think, think really clearly about, you know, there's always a useful search for efficiencies in the budget. But the real substantial budget cuts to solve our problems alone, like cutting, cutting our budget by 40% or so in one year, or 50% in one year, just seem um, wildly impractical and implausible to me. And like I said, I'm all ears to what people's suggestion would be to make that work. That's specific and not just let's just make it happen. So it sounds like there are a number of responses to the fiscal and economic problems caused by COVID-19. All of them have pros and cons to them. Which one or which ones do you think are the most practical? Um, I think, and I have, and this is getting more to my opinions based on my long study of this, I think our state needs to become like every other state and have a broad-based tax. That's one of the steps that I would definitely prefer and, and suggest. I've had believe this for a long time and I've said so. And of the broad-based taxes, I would prefer that the state of Alaska um, adopt a, uh, an individual income tax on a progressive or graduated basis like Alaska used to have when I was a boy and a young man that ran all the way from 1949, which was well before I was born or some years before I was born, up to uh, 1980. Additionally, I think that, you know, there is some ability to get and hope to get some federal funding, but that can't be the long-run solution for the whole gap. That's a partial stopgap. And if we borrow, uh, we have to really pair that with a plan, a realistic plan to pay it back. Uh, you know, there's, there can be a search for um, maybe more money to raise oil taxes. It's hard for me to believe there's an awful lot to make there for the reasons I stated in terms of the falling oil production and the... Um, uh, much lower prices as we have now. And then finally, again, there's always a useful search for efficiencies in the budget, but people need to think clearly about what that means and not overstate the savings you can make from budget cuts alone, given the factors that I laid out earlier. Mm-hmm. So people need to think really clearly. And the other thing I, I keep wanting to stress is how urgent this is. Um, we, our plan has been to spend savings before. We've done a lot of that. We used to have something called the, uh, a fund called the Statutory Budget Reserve Fund. Uh, that no longer exists, Cody. You know, that's, you know, um, you know, sort of like your, uh, your, your career in high school sports, right? <laughs> or mine, right? It's done, you can't get it back. It ain't happening. Neither you or I can be able to fake walking into the, you know, a high school and sort of pretending, hey, you know, I'm a, 17-year-old transfer, right? You know, let me in my senior year, right? I mean, it's just not going to work. So the budget reserve is in that category of gone and not coming back. The Constitution budget reserve, which used to be over, uh, oh, well over 10 billion, I want to say $14 billion that we've gone through in the last eight years, by the end of the fiscal year that starts July 1st, so the projection is that on June 30th, 2021, like a little over 13 months from now, Cody, not long, mm-hmm. Um, it'll be just over $500 million. And the way that, you know, is a 
would be to pay for a lot of beer and pizza, you sort of need to have something in case, like, the pipeline breaks, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, the wildfires, which keep getting worse around here, get get even even more out of hand, right? And, you know, um, so that's sort of what was perceived as what you need for this like, cash management. Um, but we're almost out of that, that constitutional budget reserve, which is what we've used to, as gamblers say, to make the nut or to, you know, to make the, the, the basic, um, you know, uh, recurring payments. And then what last with the, the permanent fund earnings reserve account, which has some money in it, but if you overspend it, it is the big source of the future financing, right? The, the, the future, you know, budgets for future years. And that goes to a lot where Alaska is not this, you know, um, bad off cancer patient that wants to have one last trip to Las Vegas and has, you know, no kids to leave the money to, right? Mm-hmm. Alaska is more like, you know, the, um, the, the place that keeps going and going and going, and you have to figure out a way how you're going to keep it going and make it happen. I feel like that's been a theme in all of our conversations that the powers that be in Alaska need to try new options. Played out, that was going to happen anyway, Cody, but COVID-19 appears to be accelerating it, mm-hmm. right? Because COVID-19 is both cutting the state's revenue substantially from permanent earning returns over time in, you know, oil um, revenues, obviously, most dramatically right away in, you know, tourism, you know, in some of the sort of some of the business taxes on tourism and the business taxes on commercial fishing. Um, while simultaneously, while cutting revenues for the state of Alaska, COVID-19 is um, also increasing the, the, the need for expenditures. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a squeeze or vice on Alaska, and it's made a problem that has been long-festering way more urgent. And that's why some people say, if there's going to be sort of relief, you know, for the economy, it often would, would ha- have to come more from the federal government than from the state in big dollops. And I think that we've got to get to some really big sort of both class and generational conflicts in Alaska. You know, there are some lower-income people that are particularly eager to have bigger dividends, and then there's some higher-income people who who um, both will do anything they can. They would give up every dividend they could ever get in the history of time to avoid having to pay broad-based taxes because they would pay a substantial, particularly income tax, mm-hmm. um, uh, if that was instituted in Alaska, on a, especially on a progressive or graduate basis. And then the other, beyond sort of that class conflict, there's a sort of a... There's a generational conflict and conflict that's also partly a um, resident intentional intent conflict. There are some people in Alaska who are not that large in number, right? The number of people in Alaska who make less than fifty dollars an hour would would, be, would very much exceed the group I'm about to describe. But the group of Alaska that makes more than fifty dollars an hour and has substantial assets in, the, in you know banks or, or real estate um, is not that large numerically, but powerful politically, wants to leave Alaska soon and plans to leave Alaska soon. Not everybody in this category does, but there's a substantial number who want to leave Alaska soon and don't want to get taxed on the way out. I've given speeches for years, Cody, in which I've said before COVID-19 hit, I said, there are two, two most important questions in Alaska are, what is the permanent fund for? Not the permanent mm-hmm. dividend, but what is the permanent fund for? And then the second question is, how long do you intend to stay in Alaska? 
And I think that there's disproportionate power held in our state now by people who want to leave the state soon. And one way I explain that is, if you go to someone and say, well, hey, we need to have you sacrifice today in 2020 to make Alaska a better place in 2025, some people might say to you, they might either say it to your face or, or, or maybe just think it, dude, 2025, I'm going to be living in Palm Springs then. I've already picked out my condo. <laughs> it's right on the, the golf course, you know, in the gated community in Palm Springs. Why would I sacrifice now to make Alaska better when I'll be thousands of miles away? And that's a problem in Alaska. Um, I think there's some other sort of political problems here. I've listed a lot of policy and fiscal or economic concerns. I've already said that I think that there's that some people hold um, a unrealistic belief that additional budget cuts are easily, easy and painless and can do the job by themselves. There's also a group of people that think that say whatever else we do, and this is sometimes described as dividends uber allies. And I would point out that I'm one of the handful of people who was responsible for creating the perfect dividend. But what I would say now is that if you think that the state's only response now is to, is to pay giant dividends, you have to think about how you're going to finance the state in the future. What is the plan? And then finally, there's another uh, belief in Alaska, which is prevalent, but is unfortunately um, a lot of people have a misunderstanding about it. A lot of lower income, relatively lower income workers and lower income people in Alaska have a substantial misunderstanding about how much they would pay in an income tax. Both absolutely in compared to a sales tax. And I've written about this, that for most Alaskans, an income tax is a better deal than a sales tax for them. And people that's for that's not true are people like um, some of those disproportionately powerful people, people like surgeons or corporate executives. If you make um, $600,000 a year in Alaska, and there are people like that, you are way better off having in either cuts in permanent fund dividends or a sales tax as compared to an income tax. And that's especially true if you make $5.5 million a year. And Cody, I met a surgeon who made $5.5 million in one year in Alaska in, in net income. Now, that's not the, the gross, that's the net. And that would be, you know, way more than most Alaskans, but there are, there are some millionaires. I've been told, hey, because there are many millionaires in Alaska, well, I've actually met some. Um, but people who have more than a million dollars in the assets, uh, but also people who've made, you know, a million or more in a year in our state. Um, so I think the people of Alaska need to think very clearly about the facts and the actual circumstances that we face and not just retreat to ideological slogans or some hazy understanding of what they believe that circumstances are like based on, you know, an article that they might have read in, you know, 1993 or, you know, what somebody said on a, on a talk show in, you know, 2012 when the state was getting a lot more home money than it is today. Well, thanks, Cliff. I think, I think as always, this is this has been great. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, um, that two billion to three billion dollar annual structural deficit, if anything, might be an underestimate because there's probably more downside than upside in the, in the, in the uh, coming up, and, and people have to think really clearly and urgently about how we're going to make this work. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Thank you to Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, 
The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Aquila Space for their support at the company man level. This conversation was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. <laughs>